Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education at Monash University and here we talk with researchers in and around the faculty about their current reading, writing and thinking. So welcome to interview number 28 in our series of Meet the Education Researcher podcast. My name is Neil Selwyn. I work in the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. And the aim of these interviews is simple. We spend 15 minutes or so getting to know what researchers in and around the faculty are currently up to. So today I'm joined by Anne Frenzel, a visiting professor from the University of Munich. Good afternoon, Anne. Hello. Now, Anne, you're a psychologist. The key focus of your research is on teachers and students' emotional experiences. I mean, what are the big questions that your work is addressing? What are you trying to explore? What are you trying to find out? I really started out working on uh, emotions because I was interested in motivation. I was always interested in why, right? Why, Why do some people stick in and others don't? I have to admit one small thing about myself. I really liked going to school which was uh, being a nerd back then. And I was wondering, why do I like this? And why do so many of my peers not like it? So I I was really always interested in that question. It's like, how can it be that some people, it's not really about getting it or not getting it, but it's like manage to stick in, right? So this was my starting point and this was my passion. And um, one reason why I then ended up doing emotions was because my supervisor did emotions. But I also realized that why people do things is very much about how they feel about mm. things. So I, I find myself getting a lot of answers to questions I've always had by exploring emotions. Um, it's a really interesting move because a lot of people would have stuck with motivation and you know, carried on that way. So can we start with some working definitions? I mean, how do you now define emotions? I follow a key definition of that is not mine. <laughs> Uh, that is a multi-component uh, idea of emotions. So it is this idea of uh, once an emotion would upwell inside yourself, it's a multitude of things happening. Mm-hmm. So it's your body that reacts, it's your thoughts that uh, uh, start racing or maybe not race. Uh, it is uh, also even hormonal um, and uh, neuro- neurological stuff going on. And is is that st- specific affective core so it's that thing that you can also verbally describe. So, and it's, it's all of those things in conjunction that allow uh, a researcher to speak about an emotion rather than a cognition or a motivational state. So we're talking about anger, joy, frustration. Yes. yes. Now, are you drawing on any particular theoretical traditions when making sense of this affective core? I think I'm drawn very much towards um, appraisal theories of emotions. Okay which makes them a little more cognitive. And that's what I sometimes don't like about it so much, because when you start looking at appraisals, you start looking at cognitions again, right? Mm. So I I force myself to stick back to the feelings. But I I do see a lot of value in understanding emotions by understanding what is it, why did the person interpret the situation that way it was, so that that made that person feel the way they felt. Who are the key kind of movers and shakers in the appraisal theory area? Who do you draw upon? There's um, um, Scherer, who does a lot of work. He's actually Swiss, or I think he's originally German. So I I write a lot. uh, I read a lot from from him. But there's there's also the big guys, right? Like Lazarus, uh, those people who who who's, who really invented and 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 wrote uh, very core texts about 
um, um, appraisal theory. And how does that sort of theory apply to school children, for example? Is it directly applicable to an educational context? Absolutely. Uh, like, let's take test anxiety as an example. It was, it's the one that wrecks our nerves, right? And we're all familiar with it. And it's also very key in scholastic context. So you can really ask that question. And you do see this happening in the classroom. It's like you walk in and there is an exam coming up and nobody's super cool about it, right? But some kids freak out about it. So this is, I think this is such a nice example of it's not the situation per se, right, that makes people anxious, but it is the one kid that really interprets this situation as very threatening, right? They don't feel prepared. They worry that the teacher is going to ask that one topic that they didn't prepare properly or they didn't do well last time. So they just have the expectation of this being a threatening event. And then there's this other kid that's also nervous, right? And not super relaxed about being evaluated. None of us are. But that kid is just more confident to have covered all the material and it did okay last time. So it expects to do okay this time. So for that kid, this very same situation is just not as threatening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's very much about feelings of control. But there is also this other um, factor that is, do, do you value the outcome, right? So the kid who is concerned about their parents freaking out about the poor grade is going to be much more anxious than the kid who who doesn't give a damn, right? Yeah, yeah. Who says, well, and if I fail, and it's not even about failing all the time, right? If I get a poor grade, I don't care, right? I don't want to study medicine, so I don't need a good grade in X. So uh, it's also very much about the value. So, I mean, moving on from these kind of theory, theoretical ideas, I want to kind of talk about why emotions matter. So, I mean, let's start with students. What do we know about students' emotions and learning? We, st- we do know a hell lot about test anxiety. We know that test anxiety undermines achievement and performance. And uh, the data is not so clear about it. And there's still teachers out there who say that that little bit of anxiety is helpful in terms of it pushes you, mm. right? Um, I'm a very big believer in that not being true. I think once it's really anxiety, it will definitely be a negative thing, right? As long as it's just high value, uh, I think it's fine. But once it's a full-blown emotion, it will definitely be devastating to your performance. Um, But we also know other things. We know that there's a lot of social emotions going on in the classroom, Uh, envy, Jealousy and not even talking adolescents uh, falling in love with each other, right? But uh, there is so much social also going on in the classroom. So those kinds of emotions. And more recently, Reinhard Pekun has written really interestingly about um, curiosity or confusion that he calls epistemic emotions. Right, right. So those are the emotions that are directly linked with the idea of accumulating knowledge or learning. So I also find those really intriguing. I was going to ask you about the practical applications. So we know that kind of classrooms are a hotbed of emotions. I mean, how does that help us practically? What practical implications has your research got, say, for for classrooms? I think we should be aware of the emotions and invite them into the classroom, right? And not everybody always has to be enthused and excited and, you know, positive. But I do do think that once we see that, that boredom in the students' faces, we shouldn't blame them, but we should do something about it, right? Yeah. So, and I find myself sometimes being annoyed by bored students, uh, students, right? But then I have I stop myself and I'm like, if they're bored, there's something wrong here, right? And then yeah, there's yeah. definitely no effective learning going on. So I just have to switch gears. But I also tell my students that I also have emotions, 
right? And they should please also attend to my emotions, right? Yeah. So I have been very successful in, in telling my students they should please come um, on time to class. And I have been telling my students ever. So because I think coming on time to class makes class more effective. But ever since, I tell, tell my students that it hurts me when they're late and that I take it personally and that I know I shouldn't, but it does hurt me. They come on time. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's that type of, uh, you know, introducing emotions and also meta-emotional talk into the classroom that literally can make it a more effective learning environment. Yeah, yeah. So something really, really similar. That actually brings me on to the topics of teachers because you look at teachers and emotions as well. So, I mean, what are the big issues? We've talked about test anxiety with students. What are the, I mean, are, stu- are teachers test anxi- anxious as well? That is, uh, that is a really intriguing question. I can I can barely find anxiety in teachers uh, because teachers are not being tested so much anymore, mm. right? In Germany, um, we're very far away from any type of um, teacher responsibility or accountability. So in Germany, it's really not the case. I know that in the US, they're freaking out about <laughs> accountability. So these teachers seem to develop some anxieties here too. But anxiety is really not the big teacher emotion. The big teacher emotion is anger. Anger, right. Yes. And it's really sad. And we see high levels of it. And looking always at the appraisal patterns, right? Like um, my idea of why anger is so big is that teachers blame the students, right? They try really hard. I I do believe all teachers out there try really hard. And then when it doesn't quite work out, right, like when the students fail, but even if the students misbehave, the teachers are somehow emotionally healthy and not blaming themselves, but blaming those kids, right? And then when you see... When you attribute a failure to someone else and um, some controllable cause outside of yourself, mm. then you become angry at that object or at that person. So that's, this is what seems to be happening a lot out there. And is there a flip side where teachers are very kind of proud and feel very happy by students that succeed? Or is oh, it just yes. a one-way um, thing? Oh, oh, dear. I should have said that the number one emotion of teachers uh, when they report about them is enjoyment. It's 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 big. It's really big. It's mm. the first thing that all teachers. That's good to hear. Yes, <laughs> I was expecting you to talk about stress and burnout, and we we tend to hear about teachers and emotions in very negative ways. Yes, but... I think that's sad though, and I, I honestly almost think it's also exaggerated a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I see in my data is there's such a dominance of positive emotions. Now, one of the things that interests me about this area is it's suddenly become a really hot topic in terms of policy and practice. So we talk about emotional intelligence, we talk about well-being and mindfulness classes. As a professional researcher working in this area, do you resent this kind of attention or do you think they're getting it right? Or do you kind of tear your hair out that actually emotions are being kind of dumbed down? No, I, I'm actually really happy about this development. I do think I do think there's so much room still for improvement in terms of inviting emotions more into the classroom and also working on them. And being an appraisal theorist in, in one way or the other, I do believe that changing your thinking can change your feeling. And uh, that is a very effective way. So I'm actually happy uh, to see that development. Right, yeah. I think the, the term emotion is maybe overused a little bit, but whatever we call it, um, I, I do trust it's uh, it's a good road to more well-being, more yeah, general. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. That. Now, I wanted to talk about methods. Now, you're a psychologist, you're a quantitative psychologist, you do lots of research with measures and questionnaires, so clearly you think that emotions are something that can be scientifically measured. Mm, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I, I just still hope so. I do see I do see a big downside in self-report measures, mm. but I also see that I can learn so much, right? I, it's almost like 
I'm a single eyed or how do you call that? And then like, uh, I have one eye at least, right? Like yeah. I know I can't see the full picture, but I, there's still so much to discover by trying to measure emotions by asking people, how do you feel? I was going to ask you, what does the quantitative perspective mm. bring that qualitative research just can't get into? Oh, you see so many patterns that you weren't aware of. And also I do, I totally think that uh, you see, um, you, you get a much better idea of the prevalence and the mm. relevance. So I truly think that burnout, for example, is being overstated. It's, it's because that's what people talk about, yeah, right? Yeah. Or that's what you what you get on the like, first layer. But then when you really ask a thousand teachers uh, on a quantitative basis. So so what I do, for example, is I, I ask teachers to fill in diaries right after the lesson. So I, I ask three very simple questions like, so how much did you experience over the past 20, 45, 45 minutes? ABC, enjoyment, anger, anxiety. And I start to introduce also boredom for yeah, teachers, yeah. which is really exciting. Um, and then I get this very clear pattern of dominance of enjoyment. And this is, I don't think this is completely invalid in terms of them just answer, answering like this Con for social. Yeah. Um, uh, um, but then I really trust that this is a, the big picture, right? And those are the healthy teachers who are still in the classroom and not in the clinic. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I, I do sense that I, that gives me more of a prevalence idea than um, talking to five teachers who were ready to talk to me for half an hour about their emotional experiences. Yeah. Now, are you interested in moving beyond self-report measures? Because you see these things creeping in about kind of bio, social, emotional, and all the other kind of technological ways of measuring emotion through yes. face recognition and all sorts Absolutely. of other stuff. That, and that is exactly what we're doing right really? now back home. Uh, I, I was kind of forced by that uh, uh, movement, but I also admit uh, that... Um, um, one thing I'm particularly interested in recently is emotional contagion. Mm -hmm. So uh, if I smile, do you smile back? Does it make me feel good or bad to be um, with people who are feeling good or bad? Uh, so I, I try to explore emotional contagion in the classroom because I'm very convinced that there is uh, the, the social interaction in the classroom. There is something like a, a spark jumping, not only from the teacher to the students, which is the typical direction to look at, but mm -hmm. also back. So uh, when trying to explore this, I do need to go beyond self-report. So what we're currently doing is we're literally videotaping individual faces. So we have small action cameras yep, right yep. in front of every learner and, uh, and one right in front of the teacher. That is more like a microphone. So we do try to um, trace the, the emotional uh, experiences in the faces, which is scary <laughs> but it it does work like some emotions are seen very clearly from the faces and it i also see validity here because that is also what the interaction partner sees yeah, yeah right so i do see your smile so if the camera sees it the interaction partner must have seen it so it must have some validity right so what we're literally doing right now is we're trying to do time series analyses in terms of um, positive expressions in the teacher and positive expressions in this in the learners' faces. You haven't gone down the route yet of kind oh of uh, computer it's a, recognition oh, it's and it's killing us. Neuro headsets. So, <laughs> it's a lot but, of data. I mean, there's an interesting ethical dimension to doing research on emotions. It could be argued that these are things which are really, really private, and so to actually kind of have to make public something which is one of the few things that say students have that are private. I mean, there's interesting issues there in terms of 
not necessarily for research, but if a kind of emotional data begins to be kind of very at the forefront of how classrooms are managed. That's true. And that's uh, that's a big issue uh, we're having also with um, videotaping people, yeah, right? Yeah. Like we we're, we have to be very clear about what type of data we analyze. And honestly, I don't think that the software is so far yet. The software can see more than than us, yeah, right? Yeah. But I agree. I agree. I think somewhere down the road, that is going to be really creepy. Uh, and uh, someone down there, out there in the software, some artificial intelligence is going to know more maybe than we know ourselves. Uh, but I, I still think it's down the road. And I have to admit, as long as we count smiles, I'm I'm not concerned. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 we're really counting stuff that is very obvious and that also we don't want to hide. So, but I agree. I agree. This is a little creepy. And actually, the whole idea of creepy is a whole emotional area of research yeah, you could yeah. do in the future. Now, I just wanted to finish off with just a kind of question, not about emotions necessarily, but just finding out about um, education. We, we're always told in Australia that education research is a terrible area to be working in. There's no funding. Everyone's depressed. I mean, what's it like in Europe? What's it like in Germany? I mean, is it a great place to be doing education research? Oh, dear. Um, it always depends on which pond mm. <laughs> you're in, right? And like who you compare with. If I compare with maybe newer science, of course, education stinks. But I, if I compare it with other sciences, then I think we're doing pretty okay. And I also see that the German state is, is big in uh, taking money in its hand uh, yeah. in order to uh, maximize uh, education. We also have a wonderful federal system which introduces competition. So I do get uh, funding also through Bavaria, right, which is the federal state uh, surrounding Munich. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think I'm doing okay. And the European Union funding, how's that going? Oh, yes, that is super competitive. Uh, but uh, there, that, that is another layer that we, we can um, mm. try to reach. And it's it's just honestly, administ on an administrative level, it's very painful. So all the colleagues I know who have ERC grants actually hate them <laughs> because they're such a nightmare to handle. But, but it's a nice it's problem nice, to have. It's a nice uh, extra layer of uh, funding. Great. I mean, so it's probably worth us finding ways of coming over from the Southern Hemisphere to work in Europe. <laughs> I mean, for the time being, thanks ever so much for taking time to talk about your research. It's been great to hear about what you're up to. Thank you.